0: What is inflation? What happens when the United States government pumps $5.2 trillion into the economy? How does this affect you? How do you invest in high inflation situations? Is inflation transitory? These are just a few questions we have been receiving from our clients. We will address each of these questions on this episode. Welcome to Jim's Take.
1: I'm your host, Jim Vaughn.
0: And I'm your co-host, Tyler Kennedy. So, Jim, we're going to start
1: it off right now. What is inflation? Uh, Tyler, inflation is the increase in the cost of goods and services over time. Uh, It also could be seen as a decline in purchasing power for a given currency, Uh, But I find that it's much easier to explain these concepts by talking about how goods and services increase in cost uh, over time. Today, we are seeing an increase in the cost of just about everything throughout the supply chain. Uh, Partially, this is due to shortages, and we've all heard about Uh, We've heard more about supply chains than we've probably ever heard in our careers. Price increases are responding to the shortage of supply. Each step in the supply chain is increasing costs to the next step. And eventually, all of this uh, ends up with the consumer. The problem with inflation is the consumer has the same amount of money. Purchasing power decreases. Too many dollars are chasing too few goods.
0: Now that we understand what inflation is, can you break it down in terms our listeners may better understand or use an example that demonstrates
1: inflation? Uh, Tyler, it's been my experience that humans, all humans, are very poor at understanding concepts like inflation, like compound interest. Uh, it's, it's interesting, but we, we like to use the grocery store as our example of how to explain inflation. So for example, you go to the grocery store, you spend $100 today, and you buy a certain amount of groceries. You have to eat. Everybody eats. If inflation is normal, normal over a long period of time has been approximately 3% per year. Well, that means that a year from today, if you go to the same grocery store and buy the same groceries, you would expect to pay $103. The year after that, $106.09, and you bought the same groceries. You're eating the same thing. 10 years from now, at the same 3% inflation, your $100 that you spend would have to grow to $134 to buy the same groceries. You need a 34%, the difference between 100 and 134%, a 34% raise just to stay even. Of course, your raise has to be after taxes. Uh, It has to uh, meet all of the other requirements that you have to live because you don't just go to the grocery store. By the way, the number of 3% that we're talking about has been normal inflation. Today, we're at a much higher rate than that. These 3% increases might seem small, but as they compound, they become very significant. Our concern when we set up a retirement income plan for a client is that they need a raise to stay even because if they don't, they run out of money, and that's the option that we don't want. In fact, we want to set up an investment program so that the income and the rate of return has a reasonable expectation. We can't promise anything. has a reasonable expectation that it'll grow, and that, in fact, it'll grow by more than the expected rate of inflation. In fact, this approach will give us a chance to respond to actual inflation, which might be more, it might be less. That's part of our goal. Inflation is the enemy in that our clients may run out of money if they don't respond to it. We want our clients to get an annual increase in their income, not only to stay even, but we actually want our clients to prosper.
0: We'll be right back after this. Jim, what happens when the U.S. government pumps $5.2 trillion into the U.S. economy?
1: Inflation is caused by two different phenomena. One is shortage, and that's the supply chain issue. So there are fewer goods that are being sought after, goods and services, being sought after by a fixed number of consumers. So shortages lead to price increases. Separately, and this is a separate issue, is that when the government pumps money into the economy... The same number of goods and services are being purchased, but now there's more money chasing those same goods and services. So the consumers have more money. Essentially, the government has supplied more funds by borrowing from the future, gives the money to consumers now so that they have the money to make the purchases. They've artificially got more dollars, they bid up the price of the goods and services. The government made a decision to put $5.2 trillion into the economy. Just to give you a feel for this, our economy in total in any given year is about $14 trillion. So adding five to an, what is a $14 trillion co- economy is an enormous increase in the demand for goods and services. Meanwhile, we all have heard about the supply chain problems, but the the amount of goods and services were cut. And they, they were cut in response to government policy. They were cut in response to fear of going out and going to work. So we've actually had both sources of inflation In the course of the past six months, uh, we have too much money chasing too few goods, and we've also had too few goods being uh, made, moved from location to location. This is the law of supply and demand. Both reasons are why we're having inflation, because demand is high. Supply is down. Both factors are leading to the inflation that we have right now.
0: So how does the government plan to, I guess, sort of combat, you know, getting people back to work, fixing the supply chain, or I guess, decreasing inflation?
1: The good news is that the American economy is actually very good at logistics and at muddling through and solving their pro- problems the private sector is very good at solving their problems uh the government the federal government has actually stopped supplying new money into the economy and and i'm just i'm talking about government policy many of which have ended incentives for uh unemployment benefits and other rewards for not working Which which essentially is a reward and an incentive to go back to work. Uh, We will, I believe, we believe solve our supply chain problems. Goods and services will be moved. They'll be manufactured, and the supply problem will go down. Meanwhile, the government has stopped injecting new money into the economy through expenditures, and so the excess. Spending by the government will slow down. We, we haven't spent all the money the government has budgeted for the coronavirus programs. It's still coming out, but we have cut it back, and there's very, there's no new supply of these funds that are being spent. I keep
0: reading the news, and the headlines keep mentioning the Federal Reserve. What is the role of the Federal Reserve, or as they call it, the Fed?
1: The Federal Reserve is a complicated subject. Monetary policy is much tougher, I, I find, to explain. But basically, the Federal Reserve will change interest rates in order to increase or decrease the demand for loans. Uh, every business owner listening to this podcast, every consumer thinking about a purchase, for example, purchasing a home, will make a decision to buy or not buy that house based on the cost of the house, including the cost of the loan. If interest rates tick up or are increased, Federal Reserve does have control over interest rates. If interest rates go up, the demand for loans will decrease. It costs more to borrow money, so the demand for the house, the demand for a car, the demand for inventory among business owners will decrease. As the Federal Reserve increases rates further, the marginal, the next deal, the next person to buy a house will decide not to, And that will eventually, it takes time for monetary policy to work, but the increase will slow down the economy. The question always is, will the economy be slowed down too much? What we're addressing here is slowing down demand and allowing supply to catch up to the actual demand that is taking place. That's the role of the Federal Reserve. Monetary policy takes time to work. It takes time to either buy or not buy a house. And therefore, uh, monetary policy is very slow. Inflation is here right now. Changes in monetary policy have historically taken between six months and a year to actually work. So for' counting on the Federal Reserve to slow down inflation, once they get started, their effects will be six to twelve months down the road.
0: So, with monetary policy, they have a couple tools. Uh, could you explain what the reserve requirements,
1: uh, what it, the discount rate, and then the open market operations? Uh, I'll, I'll do it as quickly as I can, Tyler. Each of them are designed to reduce loans being issued by increasing interest rates. So you have the Federal Reserve can change reserve requirements. They can force banks to have more on deposit before they make loans. So therefore, the bank, if the reserve requirements go up, the bank is pickier. They're more demanding of borrowers. And one of the ways they're more demanding is they charge a higher interest rate. Banks lend money to each other. The same phenomena will take place where banks will require a higher interest rate for loans among themselves. The Federal Reserve can actually dictate these loan rates among banks by buying and selling securities. And that's that's the normal mechanism whereby the Federal Reserve changes interest rates by purchasing securities or selling them in order to Raise and lower short-term interest rates. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it there because it gets really technical. But basically, the Federal Reserve can make interest rates higher or lower by changing other restrictions on banks.
0: Jim, you just touched on this in my last question. It takes about six months to a year to see any effect from the Feds implementation
1: of these interest rate increases. Do you see
0: inflation as
1: transitory? I'd like to answer your question with a longer term point of view. Uh, in a democracy where voters can vote money for themselves, history has shown that there has been inflation at a roughly 3% level for since World War II. Uh I think we can expect that to continue. So a constant 3% type number. Recently where numbers have been much higher than that for the 10-year period before this past year, they were much lower than that. Over time they've ended up being 3%. So when you say transitory, I'm going to pretend that you're asking me are we going to go through a period where inflation is uh, is above this 3% level. And I think the answer there is that there's many components that it is transitory. We will solve, in my opinion, we will solve many of our problems of shortages and supply chain. We've always had shortages. And in the past, when prices are high, the solution to the high prices is, as the expression goes, high prices because producers make more, Uh, they make more of whatever it is that they're getting a good price for. So they'll make some more. And I, I don't see any reason why that won't continue. Uh, you can see for just, I like to talk about oil and, and gas uh, because we're all familiar with it and it this it's all very political, which makes it a much more interesting story. Uh, gas prices are way up. Oil prices are way up. There's a lot of transitory issues, but you can see the political pressure building to allow more oil and gas drilling, allow releases of strategic petroleum reserves. We're seeing our our natural gas shipped to Europe in response to other factors. This is all consistent with the economic forces forcing political changes and also motivating producers to generate more oil and gas. That historically has led to lower prices going forward. So there will be some transitory uh, aspect to this. Do we go down to 3%? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I do see the economy as very strong. I think it continues to be strong interest rates will go up, that both that will both slow down the economy and also, uh, in a way, add to some inflation pressure. So the answer to inflation being transitory, I think we'll always have some. I don't know the level and I uh, wish I did. Currently, inflation is high or
0: higher than that 3%. What is the right investment strategy in a high
1: inflation environment? One of the phenomena that we have observed, we think will continue, and that we've been advocating for our clients is that the owners of businesses are rational, they are profit oriented, they are going to solve their problems, and they are going to figure out how to make a dollar for the shareholders by dealing with whatever their current problems are. So if they have an inflation problem, whether it's they have to pay their people more, their suppliers more, their truckers more, whatever it might be, we think that they will address those inflation issues and then sell more or raise their prices in order to continue profitability. So we are in an inflationary environment Whatever the level of inflation turns out to be, we think the owners of businesses will figure out a way to profit in that environment. And, you know, the history of capitalism has been that most people who run these companies mostly get it right most of the time. (laughs) Jim, what do you mean by ownership in these businesses? Tyler, thank you for clarifying that. Publicly traded stocks and companies, sometimes we call them equities, are actually ownership, tiny pieces, but ownership in large businesses. As a rule, we use exchange-traded funds to represent ownerships in businesses because we want to own a very wide variety of different types of businesses. And to take this one step further, we recommend that you purchase an exchange-traded fund that in turn owns small percentages of many, many hundreds of different stocks. We are asking you to become owners in those businesses that are underlying the exchange-traded fund.
0: Jim, last question here. With being invested in equities, there is more risk than that of fixed income. Can you explain, I guess, the benefits of that risk? I don't know if I like that question.
1: Yeah, or, or maybe maybe it's not really the benefits. Maybe it's the trade-off uh, that you're dealing with. Maybe you're trading off something when you take on more risk. And we, we think that equity markets fluctuate and they fluctuate tremendously I could see an argument being made that an inflationary environment, a higher inflationary environment, that you might even get more fluctuation in value. Uh, and that would be a reasonable argument. Of course, we don't know what's, uh, what's going to happen, but we do think that the managers of these companies will manage in whether it's a high inflation environment, a decreasing inflationary environment, or a normal. Inflationary environment, we think that they're going to address their problems. Uh, market fluctuation is unpleasant, but it's normal, and we would ask, we would recommend to our clients that they accept that they accept market fluctuation as the unpleasant but inevitable response to all market forces, uh, including inflation. For more information about Vaughan and Company Securities, please see the show details please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
0: Bon Securities, Inc. Disclaimer. It should not be assumed that your account holdings will correspond directly to any comparative indexes or any of our existing client accounts. Investment in foreign securities have additional risks including the risk of adverse currency fluctuations. Please remember that different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and current and future results may be higher or lower than those shown. Figures shown are past results and are not predictive of results in future periods. Share prices and returns will vary, so investors may lose money. Investing for short periods of time make losses more likely. It should not be assumed that recommendations made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. For the Vaughan Dividend Growth Programme, Performance is based on the accounts that was managed for the longest period of time, and results are illustrated from inception. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. Performance-based fees can only be utilized by individuals who meet the following qualifications. A natural person, who or a company, that immediately after entering into the contract, has at least $1 million under management of the investment advisor. Or, a natural person, who or a company that the investment advisor, entering into the contract, and any person acting on his behalf reasonably believes, immediately prior to entering into the contract, has a net worth, together in the case of a natural person with the assets held jointly with a spouse, of more than $2.1 million at the time the contract is entered into. For the Vaughn Equity Asset Allocation Program, performance is based on an account that was among the earliest to use the program. Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. believes that these results are representative. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. There may be economic or market conditions that affect performance. Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. buys concentrated positions for our portfolios, which may make our performance more volatile than that of broad market indexes and our performance may diverge from an index, positively or negatively, as a result. Investments are not FDIC-insured, nor are the deposits of or guaranteed by a bank or other entity. Vaughn Asset Allocation Program and Vaughn Dividend Growth Accounts results are net of all fees, reflecting trading commissions, maintenance, custody, advisory, and performance fees, if any. It should not be assumed that the recommendation may in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. Data and information contained in any chart used by Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. has been supplied by sources we believe to be reliable, but is not guaranteed. Accounts held that Fidelity investments are covered by SIPIC.